Conversations with Scholars. This section of the podcast is dedicated to the stories of marginalized bodies in academia. This is inspired by Black feminist sociologist Jacqueline Alexander and political activist Angela Davis. Davis notes the importance of how histories never unfold in isolation, and we cannot fully know our own histories without better knowing the stories of others. So let's learn each other's stories and follow a process of retelling, revising, reflecting, and relaunching. Today's discussion is with Omari Averett Phillips, a PhD student in history at UC Davis. An African-Americanist, his research focuses on Black engagement with political and labor organizations in the U.S. South during Reconstruction. His research explores the intersection of race, gender, politics, and labor. His current project explores Southern Black women and their political engagement during the 1880 and 1890s with the Knights of Labor, the first public labor union in the United States. Omari is also one of the hosts of New Books in African American Studies, a podcast on the New Books Network. So we're here today with um, Omari Averett Phillips. Hope I said that right. Thank you, and um, thank you for joining us today. Um, and before we get into the whole, you know, I guess, objective of this of this conversation, can you introduce yourself, um, what you do, who you are, um, your research, and how you ended up um, in academia? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and thank you for having me in the first place. I, I feel very honored to be here. Uh, I always start my personal stories by talking about my parents. Um, they were both from Ohio and did not meet until they were actually in Southern California. They were both going to Compton College. Uh, They fell in love. Uh, They had my sister. We'll move past that very quickly. And then they had me. Um, (laughs) So I'm the second uh, of their children. They were both um, educators and very, very interested in education. Um, So growing up, um, I had, you know, two parents that were constantly on me about school, constantly on me uh, about education. And naturally, I wasn't a good student. Um, It was a, you know, sort of form of rebellion, I think, in some ways against um, sort of what it is that they thought was important and sort of what I in my adolescence thought was important. Um, I did, you know, eventually graduate from high school and... uh, Unlike sort of most of the other people in my class, I didn't immediately sort of go to college. I tried it for a little bit. My dad passed away in 2006, and I sort of moved on uh, from education to um, working as an organizer for both uh, politics as well as uh, sort of labor organizations. I spent years sort of crisscrossing the country, uh, working for different political campaigns, um, as well as different political uh, organizations. And then I sort of moved into labor organizing, which my uncle on my dad's side uh, had been involved in for a very long time. And I think people sort of saw the last name and sort of associated me with him in a lot of ways. Um, Eventually, I sort of hit a ceiling, hit a wall with that. And I decided that for myself, what I wanted to do was sort of go back and get my degree. I'd sort of dabbled a little bit, but this was sort of the first time that I had made the decision to actually do so. Um, so I did Southern New Hampshire. Um, I got my, my uh, undergrad there while I was starting to teach um, high, high school history at that time. Um, and I thought I was done. <laughs> I thought that, that was sort of the end of it. I would just teach high school history and be fine. Um, 
but during that time, I, I met my um, current advisor, uh, Dr. Greg Downs, who's here at uh, UC Davis. Um, he took interest in some of the questions I was thinking about uh, during about Reconstruction. So the idea of uh, how I started, was, which was sort of the first Black congressman, and sort of thinking about them as congressmen, as opposed to um, sort of trailblazers. Like, what did they actually do in terms of politics? Um, so that sort of brought me into grad school, a place that I thought I'd never be. I thought it was perfectly fine and did not necessarily need to do that. Um, and since then, my research has evolved to sort of look at uh, labor unions um, and the way that Black people during sort of the late 19th century uh, in the South saw labor unions as uh, sort of political entities. Um, so my research looks at uh, Southern Black women, particularly in Virginia, and their engagement with the Knights of Labor, which was the first public labor union in U.S. history. Um, during this time that we typically think of sort of Jim Crow solidifying, they're using this to sort of carve out political space for themselves and also for their, um, for their communities. That's super interesting. I have many questions. <laughs> <laughs> and um, first, I will start off by saying I was right there with you. Um, I was that kid. I did not get straight A's or B's, honestly. <laughs> I was lucky if I, if I did sometimes. And I'm very amazed at how I ended up <laughs> getting all the degrees so far or working towards this final degree. All I wanted to do was world build and play Sims and really just be left alone. I thought I was going to go work for EA. <laughs> <laughs> and just, um, you know, like just play Sims. But it's funny how we end up where we are. Yeah. And so you mentioned how during this journey, you were teaching um, history in high school. Now we see what's happening. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. we can say those words. What are your thoughts? Because I'm very curious. You, you were in that position. You see how, you see what's happening in terms of, let me spell this out, um, Black history being removed from classrooms, um, just that fight against, well, should this be taught? Should this not be taught? People really reorganizing their whole family life around which states to go to if this is not going to be taught in certain classrooms. Um, soup, like a, There's just a big shift. But what are your experiences in terms of like when you are doing it and the debate that's hap currently happening? Yeah, I mean, I think to just to take the debate that's currently happening, I, I, I think it's terrible. Um, for, and this can sort of connect to the first part of your question. When I was able to sort of teach aspects of African-American, of Black history, right, teaching things like I taught courses on David Walker's Appeal, where students sort of took a deep dive directly into this really important document. Um, I would teach, you know, James Baldwin. I would <laughs> teach sort of important figures. Um, it really, for these students, sort of opened up their entire worldview. Like it was a concept and a perspective that they had, you know, for the most part, not engaged with at all. And oftentimes they walked away sort of transformed by this. Like I had students that would resist the idea that racism was still something that was going on today. And by the end of the class, they were making uh, wonderful statements. I hope he's okay with me sharing this. Uh, one of these students made a statement that um, race pretty much within our context is basically like a bridge to nowhere, right? That it, it sort of mm -hmm. stops everyone from sort of getting to the place that they need to get to. 
Um, and all of these students, uh, a lot of these students still stay in touch around to, with me around like what it is that they're still doing because of this connection that you were able to make. And I think that that's part of the reason that we have this debate right now. I think that's part of the reason that people are looking to ban this is because of the transformative power they can actually have, right? The way that these students were able to engage with these ideas, these perspectives, it sort of fulfills one of the things that we say a history education should do, which is sort of create empathy, right? They sort of understood what it was that someone else, maybe the person sitting next to them in the exact same class, uh, in terms of legacy of has had to deal with. And that's scary, I think, to a lot of people, um, because I think that it that sort of gets us closer to fulfilling the idea of sort of social justice within our country and within the world. And it sort of, you know, it goes directly against the status quo and sort of white supremacist ideas of what education should be. And that is why we're seeing this is because of this, again, the transformative power that education in this way can have. And I think that people need to be aware of that too. I think that uh, organizations and individuals that are sort of doing this work or that are looking at this, that are thinking about sort of history education need to understand that it's not sort of, you know, uh, trying to conform to the whims of the nation state that a history education sort of gets you towards, uh, what it gets you towards is a better understanding of the world and hopefully a way to transform the world into some place that's better. And everybody, I think, needs to sort of stand up and sort of understand the importance of this and try to, as hard as we possibly can, to fight to make sure that we can stop this tide the way that it's going right now. Yeah, well, I really hope so. Um, it is scary because, like you said, this was the first time that many students, their eyes were open to these things. So um, to remove that, I, I don't know what that would look like. That's why you would then have statements of some people who would say, well, racism doesn't exist. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's like they can't know what they didn't know, and yes. especially when it gets taken away from them. Now, another thing that I was interested in is before you, you started this work on politics and labor, um, before you entered graduate school. So how did your professional career or, you know, that time outside of grad school inform your time in graduate school? So like, what was missing where when you were in graduate school, you're like, okay, like, I've gotten most of this down, the understanding how these things work, because I was actually in the field. And then what were you what did graduate school, you know, add to your knowledge um, of you working in the field, if that makes sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's a great question, too. I, I think I would be a mess without the time that I spent <laughs> sort of away, right? I, um, I often sort of look at uh, my colleagues, and I sort of think about the, the paths that they took, some of them coming directly from undergrad right into um, into their PhD program. And I don't think I would have been successful doing that. I think that my time away allowed me to understand perspective. I think one of the things that really helped me with was ideas of stress. Um, grad school can be a place of a lot of stress. Um, but for me, I have, you know, helped to elect a president at one point in time, right? So I'm able to put it into a different context, I feel like, where what I'm doing is I'm reading I'm, I'm hopefully uh, doing a good job of interpreting perspective and I'm writing, right? Um, and then I'm sort of using that work to sort of engage with the public. Um, but 
it's it's not the same as as having to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and start a get out the vote campaign to try to make sure that you could elect a president. So I'm able to to I think sort of compartmentalize some of that. Um, beyond that, I think the way in which I understand some of how the social formations and racial formations happen um, from being all in different places across this country. Um, so when I'm writing about Black Virginian women, I've been in Virginia, I've been in these, in these places. I sort of understand sort of the context of how this uh, connects to what we understand now and what we might not understand, what we might never understand. Um, and without having the background as an organizer of sort of being in these spaces of thinking about how labor works now, I don't think I would have a full uh, concept or a way to grasp the the changes that have happened over time and also some of the things that have sort of stayed the same. Um, mm. The research is important, but I think it's also important to sort of understand some of these spaces. And I think also just sort of understanding yourself too. Um, the time that I spent away from education helped me to figure out who I was as a human being, um, what I valued, um, and then that sort of shows up in the work that I do, right? The things that I know that are sort of non-negotiable that I want to make sure happen um, and the things that feel authentic to me as opposed to sort of being pushed and pulled in different directions. Um, there's still a core understanding of what it is that I'm trying to do that I would not have had if I didn't have the long period of time sort of away from, from, uh, from school. I, I definitely agree. There's this need to, and I honestly wish, my dream wish, <laughs> you know, to academia would be if you're going to do things like international development or go into anything that requires you to be in contact with sub like what not subjects but people that are different than you you need to stay you need to spend some time there like you need to understand how they do the things they do and understanding their logic um, common sense is really not common so yes. you know it's really yes. understanding how what like you know what it means and i think for example i know i was speaking to a professor of if you're in the caribbeans and you know like emmy Césaire, or if he was writing about you know the shoreline and there's you have to there's a different feeling of you if you were actually there watching um you know the shore and watching the shorelines and the poet like the poetry there's a different understanding um so i really wish i was just like just if, if students want to do, put put them in that community and let's see if this is what they actually want to do. You know, some may be further motivated. Others may be like, no, I'm really not down for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's and that's perfectly fine, too. Right. Like if you get to a place from being there where you're like, actually, this is not what moves me. That's fine. Yeah. I think it. I think what you're also saying or, or what I could add on to it is that I think it helps you define your why. Right. Mm -hmm. Like grad school, as we've touched upon a couple of times here, is incredibly hard and can be very, very stressful. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing other than community that can sustain you is why you're actually doing the work, right? And so being in those places, engaging with people, even if for like for me, I'm dealing with the 19th century, it's still important for me to understand these areas and sort of feel and sort of understand the culture and the the way that things have developed in these areas. And it helps to sort of redefine my why and why I would continue to do this work and not, you know, sort of decide I'm walking away at some point in time because things have gotten too hard, right? Um, and I think that that is incredibly important um, in grad school is just to know why you're doing this work. It's okay if it changes, but sort of having things that are core and that will sort of sustain you throughout the period of time that you're going to be doing this. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And speaking of, you know, the why, did your why change and shift and transform in ways you couldn't imagine? Did, um, I guess, were you influenced by, did you come in with a why and you're like, I'm, I'm sticking firm to this? <laughs> and, you know, uh, professors are like, actually, no. Because um, it's very interesting, is, you know, you're coming in with what's out in the field. And depending on who you're dealing with, if they haven't seen the things you've seen and experienced the things you've experienced, they could be, um, if they're not open to change, <laughs> let me start off with that, then they could be super, like they could be on the other end. So how did your why shift and why did your why shift? hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. And it's a great question. Um, so yeah, I, like I said, I came in wanting to look at sort of black politicians, right? That was my 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 key. That's what I wanted to do um, and look at them in a different way, right? The questions of sort of how they dealt with their constituencies, how they sort of signaled to their constituencies that they were politically viable and politically important. Um, my my why didn't necessarily change, right? So my my the reason I wanted to do this work is, uh, quite frankly, I believe that these are sort of undermined periods of time um, with very, very important figures that we should all know about. And what I wanted to do was sort of add to the level of perspectives that we had on this. I, I To me, basically, history is not about um, sort of the ego project that I think it might be for some people. I want to add to perspectives. I, I want to give as many different perspectives as possible. And if there's a perspective out there that disagrees with mine, that's great. That's actually good. That's what we should be doing. Um, but what I found, I think, was that I, I had always had this pull towards labor. I thought, I, I think labor organizing is incredibly important. It's probably the time when I was organizing, I had the most fun and I created the most community. Um, and that I, I considered sort of real organizing versus sort of some of the political organizing that I was doing. And I always sort of wondered how how do you get to this point, right? <laughs> how do we get to this point where we have these labor unions that are these large institutions um, that are working with so many different groups of people? Um, and still, while there is, you know, a growing and, and important sort of constituency of Black people, um, why is it that, that some Black communities still feel sort of left out of, of what we would consider sort of like the American labor movement or are trying to find their way into the American labor movement? <laughs> And this still, I think, fits within much of the understanding of politics. I, I think labor and politics are very much the same, uh, despite some of the work that I'm looking at where they're trying to sort of uh, separate the two uh, around the turn of the century. Um, for Black people, the conditions that they labored within were determined by what politicians were doing in the politics of these areas. Um, so they were articulating to a lot of these um, sort of white Southerners like, you guys might want it to be separate, but it's not. It's the exact same. It's, it, it is for us. It's, it's the same for us. It's going to be the same for you. Um, and so the, the shift, I think, was uh, I was lucky, I think, in my advisor was uh, very good about allow yourself to sort of be pulled in different directions, right? Um, take different classes, um, engage with different ideas, read different things. Um, he was very supportive of that. And as my uh, my interests sort of shifted, um, he was very supportive of that as well, and sort of pushed me to continue to do that, um, and ultimately sort of found what I ultimately found what I wanted to do. Um, I know that's not the case for everyone, but that's something that I think that's important is to allow yourself to grow and allow yourself to be challenged in some of the ideas that you have, and sort of see where you end up. Especially, I think in your first few years of of grad school, where you might come in with an idea 
if you're not going to allow yourself to be challenged in some of these ideas, you're not going to see, you know, the full fruit of the labor that you could possibly have. That's very true. Do you think, what would you think would be some of your, some like a challenge that was for you that you had to fight yourself to either accept or change or transform? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I think I, so I came into grad school with the idea that all I would be doing would be taking history classes <laughs> that would help me to understand like the 19th century better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of had to fight myself early on, even as my advisor is sort of saying like, take that class, take this class, take all of these classes. I sort of had to fight my urge to sort of be like, this is not relevant. Right. This doesn't this doesn't like this doesn't <laughs> help me in any way. Um, and so like the idea of taking, you know, a Latin American history course, for example, for example, I was very much like, why would I do that? That's not that's not within my field. It's not going to help me get to where I need to go. Um, and I think just like pushing past that sort of hubris and sort of ego of like what I think is important is the only thing that could be important to, to me um, really helped me really helped open different avenues and really helped me to understand, I think that I can take a lot from a lot of different spaces. Like currently I'm taking a uh, education course and it's really helping me redefine some of my pedagogy in the classroom, right? So just being open for me, I think to some of these different possibilities, like next quarter I'm taking a religion course, right? And I don't deal with religion, but it's something that I think could potentially be interesting and potentially be helpful. Um, And so I think just allowing yourself to be pulled in these different directions while sort of maintaining what you think is important, but still allowing that to sort of be built upon in different ways is is really important. That's that's a really, really good one. It's also hard to get over. Um, and it makes me, I'm glad to develop this muscle now because I feel like then later on I'll be a scholar that's stuck in their ways and be like, no, <laughs> I don't want to hear anything <laughs> about anything. Like this is... And we all kind of can think of one person and be like, why? You have the ability to be great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think I, I took a class. It was my first year and it was like on silences. And we were reading Russian literature. We had, we, it was all sorts of things. But that was such a fun class. And also the class was silent. Like it was like everything just aligned. <laughs> you like, well, people were speaking, but everyone was, I don't know, they embodied the theme of in all these books, but that was such a helpful class to help me think about, you know, reading between the lines and the silences in the text. Um, and if I pushed that class away and said, well, this has nothing to do with me, I, yeah, I probably would have gotten there longer. Like, it would have taken me a longer time to, to get to where I wanted to get to. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, one of the Latin American history courses I took, uh, we dealt a lot with the ideas of sort of like labor in Latin America, as I'm sort of coming to the idea of sort of thinking of myself as a labor historian, right? So it really sort of helped me become a more well-rounded individual or like scholar when it came to the ideas of what labor is and how that sort of is different in different places, right? Um, And sort of thinking comparatively about the way that sort of labor organizations are building during these different periods of time and what their actual interests are and is there a you know where the tension is and where they're sort of coming together Mm -hmm. and if I hadn't taken that course I would have been stuck 
possibly just thinking about labor in the U.S. context, right? Which would have been very one note <laughs> um, and potentially not as fruitful for me as I think thinking about uh, the way that some of these are sort of convergences uh, and also divergences at the same time uh, sort of helps me think about my own uh, work and my own research in that way. And so to talk a little bit about community engagement, you're also um, one of the hosts for the New Books podcast. And it's like we're all in the same little circle <laughs> of like academics. It's like, oh, I listen to you. And <laughs> so it's nice to, to, have, uh, to have you on and talk about that. How do you think that work, um, whether does it inform um, like your, your experience and journey in academia and you know, like, what are some of your takeaways? Personally, I enjoy the conversations in Atlantic Theory. Shameless plug, please check it out. And, <laughs> and it's um, th- th- it's one of those things that I, if I said no, I would have just shut down. I don't, I would have shut down just the door of all doors because it's such a, you see different books and the way they get at different themes and the goal would still be either, you know, generational healing or, but the way they go about, the way each scholar goes about it is so different and it comes together to really make this amazing mural. That's how I see it. It's just this beautiful mural. Um, and I, I love it. It just, it's just so great to read all these different books. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that the the mural sort of analogy is perfect there, right? Like, um, I mean, it's something that I would highly recommend for like every grad student. Uh, I, as you're mentioning, like I'm, I'm one of the hosts of uh, New Books in African American Studies. Also check it out, shameless plug as well. Um, and I, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I've, I've been able to read uh, very widely, I think, through this and then just the being able to have a discussion with an author about like their work, I think is just completely invaluable. Um, for me, I think it's, it's helped me, uh, like I said, sort of read widely and sort of read like deeply into different fields specifically that I'm interested in. So I've done a lot of books on sort of like carceral studies. I've done a lot on uh, sort of uh, typical ideas of sort of uh, African-American studies. I've been able to do books on like different wars and like African-Americans involved in it. And I think one of the great things for me is that I, f- I feel like like you're sort of getting at with this question. I've been able to build this sort of community of like-minded scholars that maybe I would not have known how to speak to at a conference um, or send sort of a cold, you know, email to them. But in engaging with their work and sort of talking about my work and talking about what I found interesting about their their books, um, I've been able to sort of create this community that I think is incredibly supportive. Some of these people I, I would consider like friends of mine. Um, and that have really sort of helped me along this path in a lot in as many ways as they can, whether it's, you know, talking about soccer or talking about uh, academics. Any of that is is incredibly important. Um, and so I yeah, it's it's been wonderful. It's a great way, I think, for me and I think for all grad students to sort of build community. And it sort of helps you to do the things that you're going to do, right? Engage with scholarship um, sort of provides a, a natural avenue to engaging with the scholars and academics themselves. Um, um, I think it's just invaluable. 
And everyone loves to talk about their work, which makes it even yeah. <laughs> it makes it exciting. And it's it's easy because I don't think I'd be able to be like, "Hi, my name is Fatima." But what I can say <laughs> is, I can take the time to, to like read on your work and ask you questions there. And <laughs> right, and for but, someone like me, like coming from like an uh, you know being a teacher too, I think I think it sort of helps me also to like read some of these works talk to Ooh. these individuals and sort of think about like, oh, I could use this chapter in teaching, right? This helps to illustrate yeah. this, or this is what they were getting at with this. So it works on so many different levels. It, it, it really does. And hopefully one day we'll have you on to talk about, <laughs> you know, your, your dissertation and book, even though most people are like, please do not talk to me about my dissertation. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It's, 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 it's a long ways off at least, so. <laughs> and so while while you've been in um, academia, what were some of the, you know, supporting tools? You mentioned the community, but some things that really help you keep your why and, you know, yeah. persist on um, within the journey. Because it, it can get low sometimes, you know, it can seem like it's never ending, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I. I... I think most people would probably say, you know, like the group of people that they have within like grad school. I have like a very small group of people that I'm able to talk to to th uh, about sort of the things I'm going through in there. Uh, incredibly helpful um, and like great people. Again, people I would consider my friends. Um, my family has been great with this too. My my wife listens to me rant about all the different <laughs> research or issues that are going on. And uh, I'm sure she does not necessarily love to do that. Uh, my dog is far less um, uh, reactive when I try to rant to, to her about these things as well. But I, I think it's, it's really important to have at least a, a core group that you feel like, you know, can support you no matter what. Um, I know that for, you know, different, for like black scholars and for like uh, scholars of color, that can be kind of hard to come by sometimes in, at different places. I, to be completely frank, have had a hard time at, at Davis sort of like finding that community. Um, but I have, I think, like two or three people here that I would definitely um, consider friends and consider colleagues. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of all you need. <laughs> you know, as long as you have dedicated people that you feel like have your back, um, I, I feel like that can make the make things, uh, you know, tolerable, at least. Um, my advisor, again, has been great with all of this. He's been wonderful in terms of support, um, in terms of, um, you know, really sort of looking at me not just as a, as a scholar, but also as a person, uh, as well as a, a number of other uh, faculty members, uh, one of which, unfortunately, is no longer at Davis, uh, who was wonderful when I first came in. Um, I was grading for his class. I used to want to, like, talk about, like, research and stuff. And he would always ask me, you know, like, how often are you getting back home? Right? How's your dog doing? Um, how's your wife? How is she sort of dealing with this? Right. So really seeing me as a person. Um, and I think it's important to sort of seek out those people in terms of faculty members that don't just see you as someone that's going to be, you know, contributing just research, but that really want to know who you are as a person and sort of make sure that you're okay. So. Yeah, that that's really important. And shout out to your wife for listening to <laughs> you know the wife and the dog because those are sometimes I when I vent and I know I vent to my brother, um, I wonder how it sounds, you know, from the from the other side. Yeah. <laughs> and then I like stop myself. I'm like, I don't think 
you know, he's understanding the words, but at least he'll like nod and he'll be like, well, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like my wife is often like, here he goes again, talking about the Knights of Labor. That's great. Uh, it's wonderful. Like we need to talk about dinner plans. Are you talking about the Knights of Labor again? So uh, yeah, definitely shout out to my wife for, for having to, to deal with my rants and uh, had the random times I will bring up some of these things as they sort of form into ideas in my head. <laughs> And so, you know, I I read an article, I can't remember where it was from, but, you know, they, they were saying, well, historians know history is never, <laughs> you know, history is not objective, um, you know, but I, I always enjoy asking these questions. And so what are, what are your thoughts um, in regards to, I guess, let me start off by saying nothing is, well, in my opinion, academia tends to have this thing of like objective research versus subjective research. Um, and then, you know, in the humanities, we're like, well, you know, it's not really <laughs> as, you know, objective as we think it is. Mm-hmm. But um, what are what are your thoughts in terms of objectivity and subjectivity? And have you received pushback if you, you know, were you seen as like, well, you're too close uh, to the research that you're doing? Yeah, the idea of like me search as opposed to like and research. Research. Yeah. I, I mean, I, every, I, and I, I always sort of push back on that by saying like everyone engages in me search, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. in different, in different various ways, right? Again, the, the idea of the why, right? Like no one is doing this in the abstract. No one is deciding that um, this seems like a good topic, but I have no connection to it. There's always some sort of connection that you have to it, right? Um, I often think of this idea that academia has of like trying to be objective as sort of like this will probably get me in trouble but the the system and the institution uh, which has you know steeped itself in these ideas of of white supremacy and sort of colonial projects um, trying to reassert itself Um, I think we can see that with you know certain people who are you know formerly presidents of uh, certain historical associations who have recently been talking about the problem um, basically with black, brown, and like uh, female uh, um, historians uh, working and sort of trying to think of ideas of like social justice in this work and how that actually affects some of the work that we do and sort of asserting that that's not the way that we do history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that quite frankly, this idea, especially around history is ahistorical, right? Uh, we can talk for hours, probably, unfortunately, um, about uh, the Dunning School and the way that that sort of like covered up ideas of uh, reconstruction, some of which we're just now mining and sort of understanding. And the way that even from being a high school history teacher, the way that most high schools still teach reconstruction is in this sort of Dunning School method, right? So this idea that it's been like, that people have just been reporting the facts and just sort of like looking in that way, it's not the way that any of this has ever been done. And so mm-hmm. the to me, it seems like the issue, and again, this will probably get me in trouble, is that there are more, you know, black, brown, female, disabled, um, non-cisgendered uh, individuals that are doing history and doing and bringing these histories to the forefront. And the institution itself, these sort of traditional sort of conservative way of which we do history um, is trying to reassert itself. It's trying to push back against this rising tide. Mm-hmm. And I think that basically what historians need to do, those historians that care about this, is to continue to go upon the path that they're going, right? Continue to push this way. Um, 
and really sort of change this entire discipline into something that is welcoming to everyone, that is welcoming to these different perspectives, which we say academia should be anyway, that it should be a conversation uh, where people can disagree and where people can bring in their perspectives. So let's actually have that be this. Let's actually have this space be a space where historians can bring in their perspectives and voices that we haven't heard before. Let's talk about the merit of that. Let's not try to cut off the conversation before it even starts. And it, that's that's really important. And like you mentioned earlier, it's a dialogue, right? So my research is supposed to bring in one perspective, um, and if someone else disagrees, then okay, then let's talk about it. Let's not. We don't have to kill each other <laughs> or tear right. each other exactly, down. Exactly. Yeah. But we can have a we can have a dialogue, and that's kind of that's why I'm here. You know, like that's why it's too, I mean, I never thought I would write my master's thesis was on polygamy. I never thought I would write pages on that, <laughs> but it required me to have a dialogue with my community. Um, and then I know I get looks, they're like, so are you like a polygamy enthusiast? I'm like, we we're ne- we never go that far, but it's the whole point is to bring a different perspective that, exactly. um, that gives dignity and agency <laughs> to people. Um, even if that's not our way of doing things, you know, so. Absolutely. So in the moments that the tide just is low <laughs> and the energies are running low, what, what are some things, um, I guess, that, that push you forward or whether is there like a certain a song, a book or a piece of art that lifts your spirits? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have this uh, piece that was given, this piece of artwork that was, it's a photograph actually was given to me by my mom of uh, John Coltrane. Um, And it was, it's sort of a prized possession. My my mom had it for so long. And I remember when I first moved out, it was something that I really wanted. And I eventually was able to get it from her. I don't exactly remember how. I'm sure that there was some trickery involved or something of that sort since I was younger. Um, But it, like, it's it's the cover of uh, Blue Train and it's just just like looking at this this individual who I, I love, I love John Coltrane's music, it, it just sort of inspires me in so many different ways. It's very hard to explain. Um, in terms of like music that sort of helps me go forward, um, there are, I think, so many albums. I think Kendrick's most recent, Kendrick Lamar's most recent album really sort of helps me to, to write. I think some of the themes that he deals with um, in terms of like sort of toxic masculinity and ideas of gender and, and um, sort of communities that we come from, I think sort of helps me sort of reconnect, I think, to, to that portion of the work um, and the importance of that work, I think, um, mm-hmm. to think that, you know, Black feminists most likely got to Kendrick and were able to sort of talk to him about like his message, uh, I think really sort of pushes me forward to think about the importance of, of some of the work that this has done, especially uh, the way that this can sort of influence sort of public figures like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's incredibly important. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say that uh, Lil Yachty's new album also uh, is really inspiring to me. I really love soul music and I really love sort of that 70s psychedelic thing and it's very strange coming from this man. <laughs> um, but the album is wonderful. Um, I, I think it's, you know, in general, just sort of the healing power of music and sort of the inspirational mm-hmm. power of music as uh, a different way, I think, to sort of be literate and also to sort of push ourselves forward. Um, understanding messages within music, understanding uh, sometimes just the the energy within it, I think, sort of helps me 
when I don't feel like writing something, when I don't feel like reading something, when I don't feel like grading papers or anything of that sort, to just continue to move forward because there's something that's enjoyable that's sort of going on or something that's inspirational to me. Mm, that That's very true. The little Yachty one surprised me. <laughs> I, I haven't yeah, heard it, but I, I, now I'm curious to go and listen to it. So. <laughs> it's, it's very surprising. It's very, like, uh, it's very soulful, very, like, funk, uh, very, like, rock-oriented. It's very... It's it's, it's not what I would expect from him, but you know, for you or any of the listeners, like go check it out. If, if you don't like it, don't hate me. It's fine. <laughs> You're, it's okay not to like things. Um, but for yeah. me, I, I think it's been great. I'm definitely going to listen to it. And, you know, I haven't thought about Kendrick's album being tied to Black Feminist Theory. Um, so it's, it's, it's yeah, I, I haven't, I don't, I haven't gone, wow, that's, now I'm gonna like rewatch and re-listen to everything <laughs> through like a black feminist lens. Um, but yeah, that's that's very interesting. I can't wait for all the Kendrick courses in the future. I mean, I'm gonna. Oh, be there are gonna be so many. There are gonna be so many. Really amazing. You know, this is where you tie in. <laughs> you know, like pop culture to like Kendrick and you know his. Kendrick in a history class, Kendrick in a literature class. Ken like, it's just going to be, um, it's going to be pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've actually brought it into, I, I TA'd for a uh, African-American studies course. That was sort of an mm -hmm. intro to African-American studies. And we talked about sort of the emergence of, of rap and sort of what rap has become and sort of the, the, the historical context of like what was going on in Black communities at the time and what people are talking about. Uh, I'm doing it again this uh, spring. Kendrick came up in that class, and so I'm going to have them actually um, sort of look at Bell Hooks's uh, interview with um, uh, Ice Cube uh, that's in sort of outlaw culture, and then also do sort of a lyric analysis of Father Time and sort of look at the the context of what's going on. Uh, and I think it'll be something that can hopefully inspire the students a little bit more and sort of have them understand this is not just, you know, things that you bop along to, but uh, actually listen to some of these messages that are happening. So, yeah. De de definitely, yeah. It's not just a, a simple bop, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, just to wrap up, if you had one wish to academia, what would that be? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I will take this, I think, from how I think about teaching. And I hope, and I would hope that this is what academia could do is sort of have a reflective practice, right? Think about what it is that is happening in these spaces. Um, you know, I have had good times in grad school. I have had times where people have been outright racist to me in grad school. Um, mm -hmm. And there's something about these spaces, I think, that allows for both of these things to happen. Right, And I think that what I would love for academia to do is to really think about the spaces that they're creating and really try to see what they can do to create spaces that are far more welcoming more often than they're actually sort of violent towards students. Um, I would also, I think, like academia to sort of figure out, I think, especially in history, right? Like, what do we want to, what, what are we? Are, are, are we just sort of historians that are, again, just reporting the facts? Are we engaged in sort of social justice? Are we engaged in helping communities understand their own past so that they can understand their future? Um, what What is it that we want to do? Are, are we supposed to be, as one organization said, like sort of at the whims of the nation state and just producing people that, that go to work? Or are we trying to do something deeper than that? Are we trying to sort of like disrupt some of these systems? Or are we trying to get people to think about the world that they live in in a different way and the different perspectives of people? Um, 
I think that that's important. I don't know that that can happen on a massive scale, but I think that that's in some that's something important for you know some of your listeners who would be thinking about going into grad school to really sort of center their why, center what it is that they want to do, and what sort of historian, what sort of academic that they want to be, um, and keep that with them as they're going through. Right? It's not going to be easy, but I, I think it can be done. And I think it, it just requires intentional effort, and I, I appreciated yeah. that, like self-reflection, uh, self-reflective behaviors. Um, so I hope we can all. Not every day is going to be this way. Let's be very honest. <laughs> Some days you're just like, no, I refuse, or I don't have it in me. Um, but I really, I really do like that. And thank you for ending on that wonderful note. Uh, but thank you so much, um, Omari, Everett, Phillips. This was a really great conversation. And um, best of luck as you continue on um, in this track. And hopefully we'll see you back on when you have your dissertation in hand. Whether you want us to read it or not will be up to you, but we'll be happy. <laughs> Well, I want to say thank you so much for for having me. This was wonderful. Um, And thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you.